Welcome to Watchmen on the Wall, a daily outreach of Southwest Radio Ministries and SWRC.com. Today, we wrap up another week of bringing clarity to the chaos with Greg Patton, Larry Stamm, and Dr. Kenneth Hill. Our new 16-month calendar is here, and we're sending them out all over the country. Based on the book and television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity by Larry Stamm, this calendar is encouraging and inspiring individuals and families. We have a special inside look at the calendar today with Larry Stamm and Dr. Kenneth Hill. It's my opportunity to talk to Larry Stamm of Larry Stamm Ministries, and he is the author of the 16-month calendar for the Southwest Radio Church this year. It's the Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar, and it is beautiful. Larry, welcome. Thanks so much, Kenneth. It's a blessing to be with you today. It's a beautiful work of art. These pictures are so lovely and in full color. And the information, the truth from Scripture that you give us is wonderful. Well, thanks so much. It's really a privilege to collaborate with Southwest Radio and put this calendar together. I am thrilled. We got our first copies recently. We are just so thrilled at the finished product. I'm going to start with the Feast of Trumpets. Rosh Hashanah comes up in September, and that is the new year. Is that correct? It is. It's the beginning of the civil year. It begins the seventh month on the Hebrew calendar, the sacred month of Tishri, and it begins, Kenneth, the ten days of all, where Jewish people will search their hearts and seek God and prepare their heart and soul for the holiest day on the Jewish calendar, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. The Feast of Trumpets and then the Day of Atonement, and each one of the months has a Jewish I don't know that I want to call them celebrations. Is that what we should call them? Well, they're festivals, they're feasts, they're God's appointed times, some of them. Some of the months actually have Messianic prophecy. For example, during Christmas time in the month of December, we'll have one of the months that will talk about the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. Remember in John 6, he called himself the bread of life. Bethlehem actually in Hebrew means house of bread. So you could say that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. So we talk about Messianic prophecy in addition to the feasts. We also talk about the scriptures often referred to in the New Testament when Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, he wrote that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and rose again on the third day according to the scriptures, the scriptures he was specifically referring to in the first century to the church in Corinth was, in fact, the Jewish Bible or the Hebrew Scriptures. We do a little bit of the Feast of Israel and some Messianic prophecy, and also some what we might call kind of connecting the dots, connecting the Old Testament with the New Testament. Well, now, this is a pretty big project, isn't it? Yes, it is. It took a number of hours. Obviously, the material from the book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, we took the material and wrote these small capsules And then we got together with you all in Oklahoma City and put together the capsules and edited those and also put together the images and the pictures, which, as you mentioned earlier, are fantastic. They're really beautiful. 
We're encouraging everyone to get a calendar, and when they do, if they buy one calendar, one calendar is given to a person who is incarcerated. We give out more calendars, really, to prisoners than we do to folks who are walking around free. What we find is that the calendar says much for prisoners. We've even got a separate portion on the back of the calendar that talks about the prisoner and his plight and the need of salvation and the way of salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. So the calendar is a fantastic tool to teach others about the scriptures, about the Jewish life, and about faith in Christ. We don't have to ignore faith in Christ when we see the Jewish life, do we? In fact, it sprouts from that. Absolutely. Remember in Matthew chapter 5.17, Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I'm not come to destroy, but to fulfill. And if we were thinking about that scripture in Bible study context, we would have to ask the question, what did he come to fulfill? He came to fulfill the law and the prophets. So I like to say to people, you know, the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed, and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. In short, Kenneth, the Jewish Roots of Christianity book and the calendar are ways for people to interact with the gospel and learn more about the whole counsel of God, and specifically the person and work of what we would say in Hebrew, Yeshua HaMashiach, which means Jesus the Messiah. So really it's a gospel-oriented book, it's a Christ-centered or Jesus-centered book, and calendar also that I think will be a powerful witness and an evangelistic tool for people in the marketplace when they put that calendar up wherever they may be. The month of February, justification by faith. Talk about that for just a moment. We know in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, Kenneth, that the Word of God states, and he, Abraham, believed in the Lord, and God counted it unto him for righteousness. Incredibly, Paul quotes this verse to argue in the book of Romans chapter 4 for justification by faith. Your listeners may understand this, some may not, but Old Testament saints were saved and as the same as New Testament saints are saved today. We're saved all by grace through faith. And Paul argues for the justification by faith in Romans chapter 4, and he actually uses Abraham as his primary illustration. He'll also use David, King David, also as an illustration for justification by faith. So I actually spent good portion of the book. In fact, the first three chapters of the book, one quarter of Jewish Roots of Christianity, I spent on the gospel itself and talking about the gospel in the Old Testament, talking about, again, how Yeshua Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets, who all pointed to the person and work of Christ. So justification by faith is a really important concept, and I elaborate and expand on that topic in the book, and we have a capsule in the month of February of 2023 on the calendar. Well, and as we go through the calendar, where there's not a feast day, you say there's something to be taught, like his name shall be called Wonderful. That's his name. And this is the name that is given to Christ Jesus. And how does that relate 
to the presentation of the truth of Scripture. Isaiah 9, 6, and 7 talk about the person of Jesus, where the Word of God says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government and peace. There shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment and with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this. In these two verses, we find the name above all names. We find the person of Jesus, the Messiah. His name here, we find that this was a Messianic prophecy penned some 700 years before Christ was born and walked this earth as a man. So he is a child. This prophecy talks about a child who was born, a son who was given. And then it talks about a government that will be upon his shoulder. Then the Word of God talks about the fact that his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God. By the way, Mighty God in Hebrew is El Gibor, El meaning God, Gibor meaning mighty, so mighty God. And then this baby who will sit upon the throne of a government, his name is also not only called Mighty God, El Gibor, but he's also called the Everlasting Father. And then finally in verse 7 it talks about the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. He's going to sit upon the throne of David forever. And we know, Kenneth, that there's only one throne of God that is forever but there's only one throne that's eternal, and that is the throne of God. So those two verses, and the fact that his name shall be called Wonderful, pack a punch. Jesus will sit on the throne of David forever and ever when he returns and establishes his kingdom. And he is the mighty God, the everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Well, I'm looking at the month of May, and it talks about the Feast of Weeks. Tell me about the Feast of Weeks. What is that, and what impact does it have? In the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks was an agricultural harvest in the spring, Kenneth. The Feast of Weeks, we know it better as Pentecost, as Christians, Pentecost, 50th in the Greek. Seven Sabbaths and a day after Passover, we in the Jewish world and the religion of Judaism will celebrate the Feast of Weeks, and that would be an agricultural celebration. And in the Old Testament, the Feast of Weeks is an agricultural celebration. But there's not only a physical harvest, there is also a spiritual harvest. And it's no coincidence, Kenneth, that the Church in Acts chapter 2 is born on the Feast of Weeks, otherwise known to us as Christians as Pentecost. Yes, there is a physical harvest, but there's also a spiritual harvest as well. So there is a lot there with the Feast of Weeks, and it really points to the redemption found in the person and work of Jesus. And it's interesting, you know, the Lord said the harvest is plentiful, the workers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest and his workers out into the field. And it's interesting that you and I and all who call upon the name of the Lord and are born again. We as Christians, we are a result of that 2,000-year-old prayer where the Lord said, pray, pray that God would send workers into the field, and he did. In Acts chapter 2, when the church was born, and 2,000 years later, 
you and I have heard the gospel and responded in faith, and we continue to do the work. So we once were the field, and we were harvested, and now we are also become workers in the field. So there is a lot of beautiful significance regarding the Feast of Weeks, Pentecost. We're talking with Larry Stam, and we are speaking specifically with him about the Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar. It is a beautiful, full-color calendar, and it is something that you will enjoy having in your home. We are offering to send a copy of the calendar to you if you purchase a copy, and then we send a copy as a gift to a prisoner within the United States. There has to be someone who is the mediator between man and God. What does the Word say? The Word says in Matthew 26, Kenneth, at the Last Supper, which was a Passover Seder, remember, Yeshua Jesus, the Messiah, he took the third cup, the cup of redemption, and the Word says that he gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, for this is my blood of the New Testament, or New Covenant, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Remember, initially God promised Israel and Judah in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 21. He prophesied of the New Covenant, and he would make a new covenant with them. Not like the covenant they broke, the Mosaic Covenant, but a new covenant. And they would enter into that covenant through faith. And the beautiful thing about the New Covenant and the mediator of the New Covenant Kenneth, is that now Gentiles, the nations of the world, are grafted in to the root, namely Israel. How? Through faith. And Paul talks much about that in Romans chapter 11. So Jesus is the mediator of the new covenant. And by the way, as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, all of us, whether we're Jewish or Gentile, slave or free, regardless of our background, we all are one together in the Messiah through the New Covenant economy. Well, as we think about our being in Christ Jesus, we know that there is substitutionary atonement in Christ Jesus, and the resurrection is in Christ as well. We are part of that, part of his death and part of his resurrection. Speak to that, please. We talked about Isaiah 53 much in the book, Jewish Roots of Christianity, in the calendar during the month of July, that month is dedicated to substitutionary atonement and resurrection. Isaiah 53, kind of some Bible scholars have called it the fifth gospel, because nowhere else in the Old Testament do we find such a clear picture of the saving work of the Messiah. Incredibly, this prophecy was penned some seven centuries before Christ, and there we find those foundational concepts of substitutionary atonement, The Word of God says that He bore our sins, that He took the penalty for our transgressions. And it's a beautiful, beautiful motif. I'm just getting the Word of God out. I want to read just a couple of verses from Isaiah 53. In verses 4 through 6, we find the substitutionary atonement of Messiah. The Word of God says, Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, 
and by his stripes we are healed. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There in Isaiah 53, 4-6, we find clearly a picture of the substitutionary atoning work of Messiah. A few verses down in Isaiah 53, we now see a powerful allusion to resurrection. The Word of God says about the suffering servant in verse 9, after he pays the penalty for our sins, it says that they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. So now the suffering servant is dead and buried. Now we see in verses 10 and 11 a powerful allusion to the resurrection of Messiah, where the Word of God continues and says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him, he has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. Then it says, He shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And by the way, that's future tense, Kenneth, where the Word says, He shall see his seed, after in verse 9 it says, past tense, they made his grave with the wicked. And then in verse 11, the word of God continues in Isaiah 53, he shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. So there again in verse 11, it says, he shall, future tense, see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. So how is it possible the suffering servant is dead and buried in verse 9, and then future tense, he sees his seed, he shall prolong his days, and he shall see the labor of his soul. It's because he is alive. The tomb is empty. Messiah has conquered the grave. And we find that in Isaiah 53, some 700 years before Jesus walked this earth as a man, Isaiah wrote that powerful prophecy. Get this outstanding calendar for yourself, and we'll send one to a prisoner. This calendar makes an excellent gift for Christmas, birthdays, or just to encourage a friend or family member. Call today and order the brand new 16-month Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Living in Today's World is a feature on Watchmen on the Wall that offers stories of faith, inspiration, and encouragement. Here with another one of those stories is author Greg Patton. David, good man, bad man. The Bible says that he was a man after God's own heart. Well, what in the world could have happened to David? because he did the unthinkable. He was God's man, wasn't he? Trials, tragedy, trouble. With the memories of war and victory tucked away deep inside of his head, David entered the royal chamber. His life was drawing to a close, and he knew it. And he was not often wrong. As a youth, he had learned to listen to God's voice deep within his heart. Some may have dismissed his relationship with Yahweh, thinking that he was eccentric and deluded by his own inner longings. You know, but David was different. He'd spent a lifetime reading and studying God's words spoken to Moses and the prophets. As a shepherd boy tending his dad's sheep, and then as a young warrior forced to live away from those he loved, David learned that God desired his fellowship. Even though his life had displayed great courage and faith, it also was dotted with the memory of failure and regret. 
In David's latter years, the prophet Nathan remained at his side. He was God's voice resounding in David's ears. Nathan knew almost all there was to know about David. He'd witnessed the loving moments of David's life, the time when Israel's king of promise had stood valiantly before the people and accepted all those accolades of the monarchy. After David's sin with Bathsheba, it was Nathan who carried God's judgment to the king. David's heart was crushed. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Those were the words that brought restoration to David's wayward heart. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Don't cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Psalm 51, 7, 10, 11. David's plea for mercy is the heart. Acts 13, 22. His prayer was reflective of a humble heart, and he had it. Having a heart for God is a theme that is woven like a thread throughout David's life, first as a youth and then as a man. David loved Almighty God, not just because it was the right thing to do or because it seemed politically correct. After all, David was Jewish. Jewish men were taught to love and worship Yahweh. Instead, David loved the Lord out of a heartfelt passion. Now, as an aging ruler, David was about to perform one of his last deeds given to him by God, outline the building of the temple. He had hoped to build the temple himself, but God had chosen his son Solomon to oversee that. The word of the Lord came to David, saying, You have shed much blood, and have waged great wars, and you shall not build a house to my name, because you have shed so much blood. Your son Solomon shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. 1 Chronicles 22. Now, while David had longed to build a place where God could be worshipped, he did not hesitate in doing what God said, commanded. Obedience to God was the cornerstone of his life. If you could write your epitaph, what would it say today? There's nothing more honorable or noble than what God said about David. He's a man after my own heart. It was not that David's life was free of conflict. It was not. He knew what it felt like to be hungry and lonely. He spent years running from a power-hungry king who sought to kill him at every turn. And through it all, David remained confident. God will fulfill the promises he made to him as a young shepherd boy. One thing I've asked from the Lord that I shall seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will conceal me in his tabernacle. In the secret place of his tent, he will hide me. He will lift me up on a rock. Psalm 27, 4 and 5. And that's exactly what God did for David. My friend, when our lives are focused on Jesus Christ, the burdens of the day will not seem so weighty. When our hearts long to be full of Him and not of ourselves, the perceived needs and fears of our generation, they're going to pale in comparison to His great love and affection toward us. So how do we do it? How do we become men and women after God's own heart? There are several qualities. David made fellowship with God a priority. Fellowship with God was his first concern, and this includes an intimacy with God where a person knows and understands God's love for him or her. In Psalm 16, 8, David writes, I have set the Lord continually before me. And then David placed his complete trust in the Lord. Even as he lay down at night, hiding in the wilderness, he was able to say, I love you, Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God. 
my rock on whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold, Psalm 18, 1 and 2. David was consumed with a passion to obey God. Obedience is a cornerstone of all Christian faith, my friend. Don't ever forget that. And then David had a spirit of humility. Even though he was a handsome, courageous, and a national hero, David continued to give God all the glory, all the credit for his life. His words were not outward gestures delivered so others could hear. It was the very cry of David's heart that God noticed. Pride always will set itself in opposition to humility. But David wrote, You also have given me the shield of your salvation, and your right hand upholds me, and your gentleness makes me great. Therefore I will give thanks to you among the nations, O Lord, and I will sing praises to your name. Psalm eighteen thirty-five and 49. And then David had a servant's heart. Do you? He never lost the ability to see himself as a servant of Almighty God, and he never forgot the life he lived as a shepherd boy. The memory of those years was a solace to his heart whenever he desired to rise up and take matters into his own hands. The intimacy he shared with God was more valuable to David than all the kingdoms of the earth laid at his feet. I believe with all my heart that you cannot lead until you learn to follow. This is the principle that Jesus taught his disciples. Jesus told them that whoever among you wanted to become great must first become a servant. Matthew twenty twenty six. Is there a Goliath or a Saul in your life today? God will deliver you, but first open up the recesses of your heart and accept God's great love and forgiveness, my friend. Turn your heart toward him today and tell him that you want to be like David. You want to have a heart that is turned toward him and nothing or no one else. When you do this, God's going to bless your life with an abundance of his mercy and immeasurable peace, and you will have great victory in Jesus, my friend, every time. I'm so excited to let you know that this year's Prophecy Calendar is here and ready to ship. This year's calendar is based on the book and television series, Jewish Roots of Christianity, a 16-month calendar that features all major biblical Jewish and Israeli holidays plus U.S. holidays. Each day contains scripture references to help you read through the Bible in a year, and the calendar is full of gorgeous photos and artwork. I'm also excited to announce that part of the proceeds from each calendar go to the Onesimus Prison Ministry. When you order a calendar, a calendar is also sent to a prisoner. Order the 16-month Jewish Roots of Christianity calendar today. 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. Or order online, swrc.com. Remember, for every calendar you order, a calendar will be given to a prisoner free of charge. Order the brand new 16-month calendar today. Call 1-800-652-1144. That's 1-800-652-1144. We have special pricing available on bulk orders with free shipping on all orders over $100. 1-800-652-1144 or order online swrc.com. Lord willing, we'll be here Monday ready for a brand new week of bringing clarity to the chaos. And don't miss a moment of Watchmen on the Wall. Download our SWRC mobile app or subscribe to our daily Watchmen on the Wall podcast. Head into the weekend, my friends, with the encouragement that God is still on the throne and prayer changes things. 
Watchman on the Wall is a production of Southwest Radio Ministries and is supported by faithful listeners like you. Visit swrc.com. That's swrc.com. <laughs>